Welcome to the Finding Yourself Single podcast. Finding Yourself Single is a podcast for post-40 singles, navigating life after divorce, transitioning to being single, building a new life, trying to create positive family dynamics, and exploring new relationships. Here are your hosts, Brian Berger and Katie Katzman. Well, thanks for joining us on the Finding Yourself Single podcast. This is season one, episode five, Dating After Divorce. You can listen to all episodes of the Finding Yourself Single podcast on Apple and Spotify podcasts and podcast platforms everywhere. Follow the Finding Yourself Single podcast on Instagram at Finding Yourself Single and on Twitter at Find Yourself SNG. Email us with your personal story of finding yourself single or submit a guest suggestion at Finding Yourself Single at gmail.com. That's finding yourself single at gmail.com. Our guest for this episode is Maisha Battle. She is a certified sex and dating coach, educator, and speaker. Her expertise has been featured in the Washington Post, New York Magazine, Time.com, Oprah Magazine, the San Francisco Chronicle, and many other outlets. Maisha is the author of the book, This is Supposed to Be Fun which is available at bookstores everywhere and online at amazon.com. You can sign up for her Better Sex e-zine and learn more about all of her work by going to her website at maishabattle.com. And you can follow Maisha on Twitter and Instagram at maishabattle. That's M-Y-I-S-H-A, battle. I'm Brian Berger, and I'm joined as always by my co-host, Katie Katzman. Katie, what tremendous advice and insight Maisha provides for our listeners in this episode. I know I learned a lot. Oh, hey, Brian. Oh, my gosh. So much so. I did not want that conversation to end. And I got, we finished it and I was walking on air all night. It was so much fun. I, you know, she is available as a, a dating coach. I was like, huh, maybe we should hire her <laughs> as the date, yeah. like, you said, I felt like we could have talked to her for two more hours. She was so nice. I mean, I'll tell our listeners this. So, you know, we reached out to Maisha and we originally talked about discussing things for 30 minutes and she was kind enough as you'll hear to double that. We went almost an hour, but I felt like even after an hour, I still wanted to keep talking to her. Oh, totally. And you know, she, she is very sensitive. One thing I noticed about her is in her writing, but especially in person, she is so sensitive. We're talking about things that are based on fear or very awkward topics. Mm -hmm. And, you know, her, her main thrust is really, it's not to worry about right versus wrong. It's what feels right for you. Mm -hmm. And that is what's right. Right. And so finding someone that can understand that about you. So it was really interesting. And I just, I just love how sensitive she is. I felt very comfortable with her from the get-go. I can only imagine how great it would be to work with her. Well, and I think the other thing she does a great job of in this podcast is, you know, we kind of went into the conversation saying our podcast targets divorced people 40 plus. And she really did uh, cater this conversation to that. But I also think the thing that's great about this listen is, she gives out some tangible advice that could be used by couples as well. So it's not just for people who are divorced and, and plus 40. So um, I thought that was a, an unexpected element of the conversation. Yeah. And here's the thing. We call this podcast Finding Yourself Single, but truly, couldn't you be finding yourself in marriage? We really? Like, aren't we all single? We're all one person, right? We're not we're not made whole by our partner. Or, you know, if if we think we are, then, you know, maybe there, we need to take a look at that. So I think um, an interesting thing she touched on, too, is that our kids can stereotype us as who we are as a mom or a dad, but mm -hmm. we are real people. We are individuals. And so when we start to become that, it can be a little bit disturbing for our kids, probably whether we're married or not. Right. So um, that was an interesting thing to have come up in the conversation. Absolutely. I know we've covered some heavy topics the last couple of episodes. So this was a fun one to kind of uh, lighten the mood a little bit and, 
Um, you know, I know this can be a serious topic too for people, but I felt like it was a little lighter than the two previous episodes. We've been getting great feedback on the episodes we've done thus far. We're hearing from people who say, you know, the tangible advice that's been given out from the experts is really helpful to them in the situations that they're in. I heard from a lot of people uh, who, for example, after listening to Dr. Shafali in episode two, they're like, I'm really rethinking my parenting and I'm, I'm looking at it from another perspective. And, you know, I think any good podcast gets you to kind of stop and pause and consider what the experts are saying and, and maybe rethink how you're doing things a little bit, not to completely overhaul, but, you know, we can always adjust. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I've done the same thing myself. I feel very honored to be able to be co-hosting this because I'm learning so much along the way from these experts. And um, it's it's new information too. A lot of it based on research or, you know, their own interviews, their own data collection. So it's it's really cool. I know in um in Maisha's book, this is supposed to be fun. She really gets into dating apps and how to use them and not let them use you, right? You need to take control of them. And it's, you know, make sure that you are putting out there who, what you really want, not what you think, you know, not responding to what you thought you wanted before, or, you know, maybe what you grew up thinking a relationship was about, but really, what are you feeling now? So, um, and that's not easy to do. It's really not. It takes some introspection And so I feel like, you know, just thinking of some of these things really does take you inward quite a bit. Yeah. And I liked what she said about like being honest and truthful with how you represent yourself on the dating apps. Like she used the phrase low key catfishing. If you've got pictures on there that are older than a year, like I was actually surprised by that. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I know I've come across people who put pictures on and you you show up for the date and it's like, Uh, I think this picture is from like 10 years ago or 20 years ago. And, you know, if you're starting off in that kind of vein, you're kind of wondering, well, okay, what else might I not be able to trust them about? But she has some really good advice that kind of has me thinking about things going forward as, as I date. Yeah. Are you thinking about going back on the apps, Brian? I am off the app now. And uh, no, I am probably not going to go on the app again anytime soon. So, okay, um, yeah. Uh, You know, I'm not being closed-minded, but uh, I probably will not go back on the app anytime soon. But I think, you know, she brings up a really good point. If you're going fishing, like that's where the fish are. That's where the pool of people are. It is harder Mm -hmm. and harder, um, you know, unless you were going to date someone from the workplace, it's harder and harder to meet people. Like this isn't college anymore. And you know, a lot of us are busy being parents and busy being career people. We're not going to the bars. We're not going, you know, to places where you could potentially meet people. So I do understand that the apps are probably the best place to meet the most amount of people. And, you know, you kind of pick and choose from there and and date at your own caution and discretion. What about you, Katie? Are you going to be going on the on the dating apps? I mean, I'm the only one getting grilled here. I knew that was coming. Um, <laughs> well, as you know, I've been saying, no, no, no. I, you know, oh, I don't think that's for me. But I will tell you, this book is making me think about it because okay. the way she approaches it is is so different. And again, it's it's um it's giving me the idea that maybe I could do this as my own filter if I can get really real with myself and be really honest with myself. Um, then I think I just I just might just to see you know what what that's like. I've never done that, but she's definitely giving me some, some um, kind of more confidence in doing that, or maybe more comfort, like comfort, comfortability. She did write this book. She said um, it was asked, the publicist asked her to really approach millennials, but that those, but the really it's for everybody. It's not mm-hmm. like it's the examples maybe are more millennial, but um, anyway, to answer your question, Brian, yes, I think I might, but I will let you know. Good. Well, I think our audience wants to know too, like there's inquiring minds that are are tuning in now and, you know, they're hearing the progression of how we're finding ourselves single. So, you know, they probably want to keep tabs on us to a degree to, to see how we progress in that journey. 
Yeah. The thing is, I have thought about it. Honestly, I, I think, when would I have the time for that? And in her book, she goes over that. People create like a dating schedule. And uh, maybe it's just you do 15 minutes every other day of swiping. You know, like you don't have to be on it all the time and let it run your life. So you really have, like for me, I'd have to be like, yeah, okay, I only want this much time on it. I'm only going to say maybe go out once a week or every two weeks or something like that. But, um, you know, just set your own boundaries. But I, I am considering it because of her book. I will be honest. Okay, yes. good. I think it would be good for you. Thanks. There's one other thing that she said that I thought was a really good point to highlight is, you know, a lot of us are busy, whether it's parenting, career, um, you know, we have a lot going on. And she talked about video dates, like finding 30 minutes, having coffee with someone. Like it doesn't yeah. always have to be going to dinner or meeting in person. Like you could get to know someone over video. And, you know, we were doing a lot of that during the pandemic. So it's not that foreign to us now. But I, I just thought that was a really good point that she brought up. I do think it's a good point. I think that it still has to be in person to really get to know sure. the energy around somebody. Right. Um, from my own experience. But I think that could be a really cool way to just connect for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Any other thoughts before we turn it over to the interview with Maisha? Just uh, not really just enjoy this interview. I think it's packed full of um, little nuggets of great information. It's some, I'm probably going to listen to it several times myself. I'm going to make a prediction hmm. because of the title um, and her, her, uh, her title of what she does. I think we're going to get a lot of listens to this episode from people uh, who are finding themselves single, also couples. So um, I think it's going to be very helpful and we'll get a lot of feedback from it. For sure. I do too. And also because we actually read a letter from one of our listeners. Yes. Hope it gives um, everybody out there the idea that you can write in and we will address your, you know, your questions. So. Yep. And again, that email address, finding yourself single at gmail.com. Listener Kathy had a question this week, like you said, and we incorporated it into our conversation with Maisha. So again, you know, we're covering lots of different topics. If you have a specific question, send it to us. If you have a topic that you want us to cover, um, if you have an expert that you think would be great on this podcast, send it all to us at single at gmail.com. Without further ado, let's get to our conversation with Maisha Battle. Maisha, thanks so much for joining us on the Finding Yourself Single podcast. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you so much. After people go through divorce, which is emotional and traumatic, sometimes the last thing they want to do is experience vulnerability or rejection. So what advice would you have for people who are divorced and, and kind of debating, like, should I date or not? Mm -hmm. Yes. The one thing that I tell my clients all the time is that you can really do this on your timeline. So if you don't feel ready to put yourself in another vulnerable position, don't do it. <laughs> you know, it really is about, you know, feeling good about, you know, when you decide to get back into the dating game. And usually people do have a sense of like, okay, now I'm ready or, you know, I'm starting to be curious. And so at that stage, maybe it's as simple as putting up a profile with no information on it, you know, just to kind of get yourself into the mode of seeking and sort of like starting to see what's out there. Um, a lot of my clients who are newly divorced, they've been in partnerships 10, 20 years. So they're not used to dating online or creating a dating profile for an app. So that's all new to them. And it can be really scary even for, you know, younger people doing it for the first time, let alone, you know, someone who's really trying to get back in the game of dating and feels like, they don't even know <laughs> what people are doing these days. So it can be really, really scary. Yeah. And, and Maisha, you know, with that, I had a counselor once say to me, if you feel like you're like, I just have to be with someone, I just can't stand being alone, like you're really not ready. And I feel it's so important to have that time where you're, we call this finding yourself single podcast, because it's really about finding who you are yourself now that you're single. And 
it would be ideal to kind of have that before you go back into it. You know, what do you what do you think about that? I fully agree. And as you were speaking, I was like, you know, I wish one of my friends had that counselor to tell them what yours did. Um, because yeah, there can be that sense of, you know, you have this life that's been shared with someone for so long, and then there's a void. And you sometimes just want to fill that void and not, you know, let yourself feel all the feelings that come with that painful separation. And sometimes you just have to feel your feelings and it is painful. And that's why working with a therapist, a counselor during that time can be really helpful, not not only for you, but if there's kids involved, you know, navigating grief while trying to parent and co-parent, like learning what your co-parenting style is during this time. It's all everything is new. You know, I try to remind my clients that as well, that everything is new and deserves a little bit of time to sort of sort itself out and adding another factor into the equation, like another human being sometimes just isn't right, you know, and it might not be fair to that other person, to be honest, who might be like looking for a long-term relationship right off the bat with you. Yeah. And it's funny because that same counselor said, you know, wait about a year. And I actually started to see somebody and it was, it was just this complete fear of like, I can't do this alone. You know, I had I also had another loss. My mom passed away and, and I didn't tell my counselor, right? I was like hiding it from her. And then the whole thing blew up. And then I told her and she's like, I told you <laughs> not to do that. You know? And I was like, I know that's why I didn't tell you anything, but, um, you know, I, she was right. You know, and it was just, it's good to take the time, you know? And, and like you said earlier, many of us, you know, we haven't dated for years or even decades. We've been married in a relationship and now we're coming out of that. And there's this whole new, you know, environment for dating that, you know, is new. So, and it's, it is intimidating. So what are some, can you give us some strategies that are effective for building our self-confidence and re-entering this dating scene? Yes. A lot of my clients come to me and, you know, from a place of despair thinking, I'm divorced, I have kids, like, who's going to want to date me? And the fact of the matter is, there are a lot of people just like you in the dating pool, all feeling the same, you know? So that's something I think to kind of keep in mind that if you're doing it, rest assured, there are other people like you who are doing it as well. And sometimes that's actually where my clients find a point of connection with their dates is that, they're in similar stages of processing their divorce, or maybe somebody is a little farther along in the process. It can go, oh yeah, been there, done that. You know, here's maybe what to consider now that you're in this stage. Um, and and sometimes that's just a comfort to know, even if those relationships don't progress, but that you're connecting on something really real that's happening for the two of you in your lives. So that can be a great comfort uh, along the way. And another thing too is. There are people who are searching for any number of things. I think it's really good to allow yourself to get clarity on what it is that you're looking for because, you know, the marriage that you're that you've left did not work and there might be some very good reasons why it didn't. And that can be information for selecting a partner in the future. So rather than seeing it as, well my marriage failed, like I'm no good at this. It's like, well, you were two people in a situation that may not have ended the way that you both wanted, but that doesn't mean that there wasn't some good there, but there might've also been some red flags that you didn't look, you know, look at or look closely enough at. So it's, it's a way I think to reframe those feelings of despair. You know, you're not the only one and you're not a failure. You're, you're progressing and you're moving into this next phase of your life. And think about what that next phase of your life might look like with a partner and how it might feel to add someone who is truly complimentary to you. And I think that can be really motivating for most people. Maisha, when you're in your 40s, 50s, 60s dating, your body performs differently than it did when you were in your 20s and 30s for men and for women. What advice would you have for our audience who maybe going back into the dating pool and they're like, oh my gosh, uh, you know, I've got some nerves around 
how my body performs now and, um, you know, how I discuss that with my partner. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I work with clients who are coupled that this is happening within a partnership. Mm -hmm. You know, bodies change throughout pregnancy for men as you age, testosterone decreases. And so, you know, reliable erections might not be a thing anymore, you know. Um, if they are for you, great, you know, but a lot of men experience this as they age. That's why there's so many things on the market for this exact issue. But I think that it's, it's, it's important to note that these changes and these conversations and these awkward sort of like transitions of life would happen with a partner or without. It's just that, you know, you have somebody with whom maybe you've developed a lot of trust with over the years versus oh, I'm just meeting you and I have to tell you that, you know, maybe I will not be able to maintain an erection or maybe I'm going to have to use lube because I'm perimenopausal and I tend to experience dryness. Not the sexiest conversations to have, but informative and helpful. And so I think sometimes just knowing what your body needs on the outset can be really helpful. Um, and I'm a big like fan of just like downplaying it. Like, this is what I need. Or this is how it's going to go, you know, and I've had clients who have, you know, just frankly stated that to partners and especially in this age range too. I think that's to be expected. We forget that as well, that um, our partners, our potential partners may have also had partners who have had a similar experience or, you know, maybe they themselves um, are experiencing changes in their body. But I think there, that it also just comes down to too, like, as we age, we feel less confident in our bodies for a number of reasons. We don't look like we did when we were 20 years old, even though most of us would like to. Some of us, maybe not. Um, and in our culture, we value youth. So it's very difficult to dismantle that kind of thinking and just say like, whatever, I'm 50 and fabulous. You know, it's like, I, I I commend people who can muster that and keep that, but I don't incur like I don't expect that people are going to feel that way all the time. And so, you know, another thing that I think could be helpful is thinking about when you brand dates, you know, or what you can do to make yourself feel sexy and make yourself feel good before you even step out on a date, uh, regardless of whether or not you're planning to have sex. But just to boost your confidence about, you know, what's going to happen, you know, there could be this potential for connection, a potential for a sexual experience. And, you know, going in confidently, as confidently as you can that day can be really helpful in, in you know, creating a, a more fun and playful experience with your date. So let me ask you, what are some of those things? What are some tips that you would have for how do you psych yourself up to give yourself confidence for your date? Yeah, same question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, there's quite a few things and it really depends on like what resonates for you. So, you know, I have clients who are really big on journaling and then I have some clients who are like, get out of your money. I don't, I don't want to journal about a single thing. Um, and so that's fine, you know, but I do think it's helpful to like maybe journal about um, a future relationship that you're hoping to um, aspire to, you know, journaling about something that you're like really creating a future for yourself and you can see yourself stepping into that. I think that can be really helpful. Um, some other helpful prompts, especially if you struggle with body image and things like that is to, you know, show appreciation for your body, even those areas that you feel like, Ooh, I don't like looking at this. I don't want someone else to look at this. But think about like the functionality of that part of your body, how it served you, how it has been there for you throughout the course of your entire life. I mean, you know, we we definitely lodge a lot of um, complaints against our bodies that, you know, they didn't ask for that. They're just, you know, they're just along for the ride. And, you know, we could definitely stand to be a lot kinder to them. Um, because they've they've done a lot for us, right? Even if functionality has changed over the years. Um, the other thing that I think if you're especially if you're not a journaler, is like sometimes music really can put people in a headspace of positivity or encouragement. You know, it might be good to like create a playlist. It's sort of like a swagger playlist of songs that make you feel 
sexy and good and bold um that's that's another suggestion um yeah that's that's just some common examples of things that i might recommend to my clients to do those are great ideas i I would never have thought of that definitely the music thing i would do but you know journaling on the experience and i do journal but i love the idea of thinking about that thinking ahead about the date and the relationship that you want so that's that's great advice um well, okay, I we need some help. So I have a question. Okay. <laughs> and I think our listeners need this help too. So I I know that some people ask new partners these days to be tested for STDs before they've had sex, right? So this is probably not something we did when we were dating prior to marriage, right? Like I, I don't know if, if that's something that we did. I don't I don't remember doing that, right? So I, and I know that I've had friends in who have been asked and that are asking people, I would like to know, what do you think is the best way to find out a person's sexual history? Um, what's the etiquette? What do you recommend? I mean, that seems a bit awkward. Yeah, it can be. But I also think that putting yourself out there first can sometimes diffuse the awkwardness. So for instance, if you have like a really heavy makeout session and maybe somebody invites you back to their house or you want to invite them back, you know, a good segue would be like, I really want to spend the night with you. Um, the last time I was tested was, and fill in the blank, um, I was all negative. How about you? You know, and you can tell a lot by someone's response. If they're like, what are you, t- what are you talking about? I, I would never, you know, like, you think I have a disease? And it's like, Okay, well, probably haven't been tested recently. <laughs> you know, like if you have that kind of attitude about it, and if someone was like, "No, it, it's really been a while for me. I, I don't really know," you could have maybe a back and forth about like, oh, you know, um, are you in the habit of using protection? You know, and then you can make an educated sort of decision about you know what precautions you might want to take with this person. It might be. That's not good enough for me. So I'm going to need you to get tested before we take this any further. And again, it puts the ball in their court to take responsibility for their own health and well-being and to know their status. Um, but, you know, if their answers are, yeah, I'm, I've only been with a couple partners since my divorce. We always use protection. Um, as far as I know, I'm in the clear. Then you might want to pr- you know, proceed that evening with a barrier method. Um, you know, it's really, it's really your choice, but, uh, I do think that having these conversations openly at the beginning, it does set a tone for, you know, we talk about this. We talk about this because I care about my health. I care about your health. I want to protect you too. So that's why I'm telling you my status. That's why I'm disclosing this information. It's not to make you feel shameful or icky. It's really so that we can have Uh, a carefree experience as carefree as possible with each other and if you want to have a good relationship too it seems to me it's built on communication so the way they respond to that would be very important and yeah doesn't mean you can't work through an awkward response but i think how it's handled would be would be a good piece of information you know where absolutely it's relationships so i think that's a great idea thanks for that i appreciate your help with that of course so, Maisha, I've run into this. I'm sure our listeners have, too. You meet someone. They also have children. You might not have weekends or weeks that match up at the same time. And you're literally struggling to find a date on the calendar to get together for a date. Because, you know, for most people, your children, number one priority. You're not going to get a sitter for them. Um how do you work around that when you have two people that like each other, they want to go on a date, but because of work commitments, uh, commitments with their children, like it may not really get off the ground. It may take two months to go on three dates because of all these commitments. And that's fine. You know, relationships have to unfold in the way that feels good to, to both people. You know, if you're rushing things, because you're, you know, trying to fit too much into your schedule, um, then you can be stressed and maybe even become resentful of this person. You know, ah, you know, I have to go on a date with them now, but I'm, my head's not there. You know, I'm not a- 
actually in a headspace to be on a date with someone. Um, I'm thinking about my kids. I'm thinking about all the things I have to do for work, et cetera. So, you know, three dates in two months. I mean, during the pandemic, people were (laughs) really not seeing each other. And so that actually brings me to another um, solution, which is uh, video dates. You know, when you can't physically spend time with someone, even just looping them into your life and saying, you know, hey, I've got I've got 30 minutes in my day, you know, on such and such date. You want to just sit out, sit down, chat and have a coffee with me? That's a good way to sort of maintain a little bit of a, a face time. No, no pun intended. Um, but yeah, a, a way to stay in touch throughout the weeks so that you're not losing the thread. And then hopefully you are still planning those in-person dates. But um, yeah, unfortunately, yeah, time is limited. And so kids do take priority. And until you get into a place where there's a better rhythm and also trust, right? Um, it would it's it's gonna be kind of hit or miss. But I have seen couples where they've been able to work with their co-parent to move things around sometimes and get on a better cadence with their boyfriend, girlfriends, uh, you know, schedule with their kids too. And so then there can be more overlap. But that's something that has to develop over time. You wouldn't just do that. You wouldn't just uproot your child's <laughs> schedule for somebody that you're just meeting and getting to know, right? Right. Do you have a general philosophy on when is the right time to introduce the person you're dating to your kids, to your family, to your friends? Yeah, that's a great question. I think, again, it, it kind of comes down to how both parties feel. So I've worked with people who are, you know, dating two, two dating parents, um, but the, the woman was my client. And it was really, it was really her. Like she wasn't quite ready to introduce anyone, you know, to her partner. Um, part of that had to do with, you know, just feeling protective, unsure. Um, maybe there were some gender stuff going on there too. Like, yeah, but it, it's, I think it's, um, it was interesting to watch her kind of surprise at the fact that her boyfriend was ready to do all those things very, very quickly. You know, he's like, let's, you know, let's, let's get this going. And so what happened was it really took, um, it, it really, things really took her lead in terms of progression. So that's what I can say is, is really important is that you can't really prescribe your timeline to someone else. It has to be something that, you know, they feel comfortable with. And I think sometimes we might feel like, well, you don't want to do this on, you know, I'm ready. But really, like, being a parent is so personal. And only you know, you know, what your kid is capable. There's also age different stuff, right? You know, it's like maybe having older kids, it might be easier or harder, depending on your kids. You know, it's really about, like, how you feel and what you're ready for, and then speaking with your partner about what they're comfortable with. And then I would say go with the more conservative timeline, because taking your time is probably going to be better for everyone um, all around. You know, and it brings a question to me, what about the sense you're getting from your kids to like adult, maybe adult kids who are in, maybe rejecting the, the fact that you're dating, and you know that? I'm sure that's that's the case out there, you know. How would you say to handle that? Yeah, I mean, it's tough. But ultimately, you know, with adult kids, um, they don't have a say. I mean, with most kids, they don't have a say. When, when they're younger, you can sit down and have a conversation and sort of explain it um, and hopefully be there to process any emotions with them that might come up. But um, adult children who, you know, might be, you know, off at college and and living their lives. Like it's, it's a difficult conversation, but it's one in which I think there can be a boundary there of like, I have my life, you know, and I need to be happy and I want you to be happy with my choices, but ultimately they're my choices. So, (laughs) you know, um, not much you can say about who I date 
Uh, because if I'm happy, that's really all you should should be concerned with. It's tough. It's really tough. Um, and and being someone who is the daughter of a divorced parent who dated, oh, some of those conversations were so tough for me as a child. But at the same time, you know, and even in therapy now, I, I like have to be reminded, like, that's your mom. Like she, she's, you know, she's a grown up. She made decisions. Those were her choices. But I just, you know, um, so it, it's hard on both sides. But again, like I'm doing my processing in therapy. <laughs> I'm taking ownership for like what I, what I can. And that's ultimately all we can do. Well, cause some kids resent the parent for going and finding someone else, whether they're young or even a little bit older. And you've got to work through that with your, your child. And if, you know, my daughter was three when I got divorced and, you know, she wanted to be the priority and I made her the priority, but it's a different conversation with their, when they're really young, because they want to know, like when they're with you, they're with you. You're not, you know, giving up your time or, uh, putting anyone else is the is the priority. So it is, you know, I hear a lot of estrangement stories because someone went and dated someone and the child resented the, you know, person that your parent was dating. It does happen. Yeah, it's it's really unfortunate, but you know, it, it does come down to that that happiness piece. Mm-hmm. And I think divorce does not take away your right to be happy and to have a partner who supports you through this next phase of your life um and navigating kids during that time is stressful um and hopefully you are with a partner who can like support you through that and be and not add to the drama of that you know there's a lot of factors here there's a lot of personalities involved that you know, this is why people seek out, um, you know, divorce coaches and, you know, um, marriage and family therapists to help you, you know, talk to your kids through the process of separation and divorce about what's happening and maybe even, you know, facilitating meeting a new partner, um, depending on, you know, how you feel about that process and, and how old your kids are, you know. Yeah. So sometimes that can be really helpful to have that third party present. I think I I could speak for many moms out there, too, that we have raised we've been used to raising our kids and doing everything for them and being that, you know, keeping this perfect family thing going. And then all of a sudden parents are divorced. Wait, mom's dating that would just seem so, it seems so odd, right? But now it's like, again, well, mom's finding herself, right? Mom is in a new stage and that's a healthy thing, but it's it's a process of, of you're finding yourself and you weren't maybe doing things always authentically in the marriage. Sometimes you're, you're agreeing to things you wouldn't agree to. So I think there's a, a lot that comes out that kids have to see, well, this is the real woman. This is the, who she is now, you know? Yeah. So, well, and I think you, bring such you know you bring up such a good point i think we as a society have a hard time seeing mothers as desirable you know sexual and just you know a part of being a woman that's a it's a small part of being a woman that like it does take up a lot of identity especially in the child rearing years and that does take priority sometimes it's not everything that you are right and so oftentimes I think during a divorce, then that, that veil gets pulled back and it's like, whoa, she's taking pottery. She's running. She's, you know, like, she's dating. She's doing all these things, you know? Um, and she's a mom, you know, she's my mom. Yeah. It's, it's sometimes hard for people to grapple with that. Mothers tend to get desexualized. And um, so it can be quite like shocking to see, Mom's doing her hair now. She's going out on dates. She's, <laughs> yeah. But it, but that that's a facet of you that maybe wasn't as present, and and certainly your kids didn't see that part of you as much um, prior to to the divorce. So so true. Yeah. Um, 
And something along those lines I wanted to ask you about, we want to ask you about, you, we've been married, some of us, you know, for so long. And um, we go into, say, if we go into a new relationship, you know, what's the best way and when to talk about your previous marriage and your divorce with, you know, when you're dating? Because th- to me, there's just so much there. It's a lifetime. It's a lifetime I spent with other people, right? So how do you bring that in and, and make that healthy and constructive as a part of your new relationship? I think it's part of getting to know you conversations, you know, even with potential partners who don't have a history of marriage. It is your history. So, I mean, a very common question when people are first getting to know each other, why are you, you know, why are you dating? Why are you on that? You know, and that's a perfectly fine place to say, well, you know, my husband and I divorced X number of years ago. You know, I've been casually dating in my community for a little while, but I decided, you know, I wanted to branch out and and join an app and here we are, you know, and and it can just be like that, you know, that just moment of reveal and divorce, right? Um, and it can be also a way for them to ask more questions. Oh, okay, well, how long were you married? And yeah, um, I'm I'm assuming that most people with kids are going to say that in their dating profile, but not everybody, but it could be an opportunity to talk about, yeah, we have kids, you could pick kids, ages, et cetera. Um, this is how we you know, share custody um, or not. And yeah, it's a, it's a getting to know you. It's, it's part of also someone getting a glimpse into your lifestyle and being able to ascertain if that's a lifestyle that they can get down with. There are some people who are not as comfortable dating someone with children because they want to be the priority. They don't understand that they may not always be. And then there are those people who, with or without children, understand that they're going to have to work with your schedule. So I think it's really important to talk about these things in small ways or go as deeply as your date seems to want to go. If they're like skimming over that and talking about other things, then maybe just skim over that and talk about other things until another moment of, you know, sort of arises organically where you can say a little bit more about yourself. Maisha, again, our listeners are largely in the 40 plus age range. The dating apps can be the Wild West. And, you know, Mm -hmm. I look at someone like my co-host, Katie, who was married for 26 years and, you know, kind of a newbie to the dating apps, at least recently. Um, When People are getting on the dating apps. Even someone like myself, I've been divorced for 15 years and and I still sometimes wonder like, what should you highlight? What kind of pictures should you post? How much information should you share? You know, um, and then I've learned there are some people that kind of misrepresent themselves on the dating apps, whether it's with their photos or the information they post and you show up for the date and you're like, well, wait a minute, this is a completely different situation than the one that I thought I was getting myself into. How do you navigate the dating apps 40 plus? And are there any specific ones that you think work best for the 40 plus crowd? Mm, that's a good question. I mean, I I haven't had many clients that are 40 plus that have had much success on say, you know, sites that are geared for, you know, the older demographics, which are like eHarmony. Match seems to be okay, but I mean, honestly, Tinder has the most people on it. Do you mind me asking, Brian, which apps you're on? Eh, well, I'm not on any Brian? right now, but when I was, uh, Bumble. Um, Bumble, okay. And then Hinge. Those were the two okay. I was on. I thought Bumble was interesting because, you know, it kind of honestly takes the pressure off the guy a little bit because the woman starts the conversation. So I kind of like that. Um, once you match, they have 24 hours to start the conversation. Um, and hinge, I, I tried cause people said it was a little bit safer, like Bumble. Um, so, but yeah, Tinder from what my friends have told me is like complete hookup site. I do know people, um, have had success on Tinder, but those are the two Bumble and hinge that I've used the most. Yeah. I would say Tinder and Hinge are kind of like on the top of apps for people who are 40 plus. 
Um, and, and I say that because there's just so many people on these apps. And as much as I say in my book that dating is not a numbers game, you know, part of this is putting yourself in a pool of people that are going to be appropriately aged for you, you know? And so, um, and it must be like, like-minded. Um, so part of sifting through dating profiles is, it's definitely searching for, you know, people who share your values, um, people who, again, like, are not going to judge you for being divorced, of course. Um, and to go back to your earlier question of just, what should you be putting in your profile? I have a rule of thumb that your, you know, your photo should not be more than a year old, if at all possible. Um, I think it's, it's nice to have just a range of photos that show you living your life. And that might include your kids. If you're not comfortable, including your face, the faces of your kids, you can put little like emoji faces on them. uh, And, you know, make sure that they're safe from the eyes of dating app users but you know just showing activities that you would do on a regular basis with your kids um you know you at a your kids baseball game etc uh showing people exactly you know how you spend your time and with whom um because that's helpful also for them to see if there's values alignment you know maybe their kid does little league too so they're like ah okay another little league parent great that's awesome. Um, so that's that's also a point of connection. That's a way, I think the photos are a way for people to, um, you know, reach out and ask questions. If you've got not much there, if you've got like one photo and it's just you kind of standing in a nondescript place, the only thing they can really comment on is, is you, which of course they should be complimenting you, giving you nice little, you know, little words of affirmation. But you know, it's, I think, a little bit easier and feels maybe more organic if you give people something to look for. Um, unfortunately, there's always going to be catfishing, which is what you described, you know, maybe someone using either really, really older photos of themselves or completely different photos of someone else that they're pretending to be. That's really the classic definition of catfishing. But I think it's kind of like low-grade catfishing to put a photo of yourself from your 20s uh, yes. up yeah. on, and you are, you know, 50. Like, no, um, we don't look like that anymore. So, um, and it's it's a disservice to them, right? Because that is how they look. And that is something that, you know, people will be attracted to. They're not giving themselves the chance to show up and be seen and have someone go like, yeah, I like the looks of that person. So I write, you know? So that's unfortunate for them. It's also unfortunate for their dates who show up and are disappointed. (laughs) So yeah, I hope I answered all those questions. Let me ask you one more question too. And yeah. again, this is just my experience. I don't want to come out across as this is the experience of many. But when using the apps, I've gone on dates and it feels like on the first date, people basically want to know like your resume. What do you do? How much money do you make? How many kids do you have? Like you feel like you are being questioned so they can check the boxes. And if you answer the questions correctly, you get to go to date two. If you don't, they want to weed you out quickly. And I'm more of a like, get to know you a little bit, take things slow, like not, you know, grill you on the first date. Do you have any etiquette around first dates and especially when you're meeting on the apps? Mm -hmm. Well, first for you, I think you've got to put a line in your profile that says you are 100% like your love language is quality time. You know, it sounds like you really enjoy spending time with people, getting to know them. And, you know, you're not going to be someone who responds really well to the 50 questions. There are people who really respond well to the 50 questions. Um, I'm thinking about a friend of mine has a bar here in San Francisco. And um, I used to frequent it. <laughs> I worked <laughs> in the neighborhood. That's how That's how we met. And it was a first date spot. It was a very romantic little kind of cozy wine bar. And 
And, um, and so I would sometimes just be a fly on the wall and listening to people on their first dates. And I, I, I kid you not this couple next to me. And I, I could tell they were on a first date because they were, you know, asking questions like, well, where did you grow up? And, you know, what did your family do? That, et cetera, et cetera. The conversation evolved into five year financial plan. It, it evolved into how much money is in your 401k. Wow. And oh. yeah, no, at the end, they, they were both like, that couple's probably married by now because they were really getting into it with each other. And it was just like, this is who we are. And this is what we want to know. This is, we're, we're like, check, 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 just like he said. And they were moving along with each other and getting very excited by the other's <laughs> answers. So for them, I mean, you know, hopefully that was, that was like a, a chance encounter of so their perfect match. Who knows? Their love but language was financial plans, huh? Financial planning. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah, I mean, it, and so it, it's hard to answer the etiquette question because I definitely think, you know, dating, dating should be fun. Um, and keeping it light on the first date is usually pretty good unless the conversation like naturally goes to some, you know, deeper, maybe darker places. But, you know, sometimes conversations just go there. But I think having a checklist, I go into to this in my book. It's usually not great because people are so much more than checklists. So spending time together over time, getting to know them, getting to see how they react to certain things, how they react to you. Um, that's, I think, more important than some of these things that you might go into a date thinking, oh, I need to make sure that they answer this question and hopefully they're not this or that. Yeah, even the, you know, compatibility tests or even the love languages, I think those are great things. But if someone asks me to do that right away, I feel like, you know, no, I'm not going to do that for you. <laughs> you know, <Yeah. laughs> let's get to know each other, just have some fun, you know, and that can be very fun. But to me, to be asked to do that right away is a little off-putting. That makes Did sense. someone ask you for your, your personality test? Somebody who I knew wanted me to take this, you know, a different compatibility tests and let's get your love language. And I'm just like, you know, we haven't even gone out yet. Right? <laughs> like, you know, you can wait for that. But um, I didn't think of anything. I like the, I think those things are fun. But I think that the context of if somebody's asking you to do them and when, you know, kind of like that first date, you're for 01K. It depends if you're both on track with that. I guess that's great, you know, but right, right. It feels like they're using it as some kind of um, test or, you know, they want to see your your results before really getting to know you. And again, I mean, I think some tests are kind of fun. Yeah, I think they're, they're fun to do. But um, yeah, there, there are all these lists out there of, you know, the, the 50 best questions to ask on a first date or something like that. I mean, there's different numbers of 10 best questions, 20 best questions. But somebody that I worked with a few years ago told me that like someone had a printed out copy of that and broke it out on the date and insisted on reading through all of them. And one of the questions, one of the questions was awful. It was like, what bar body part do you dislike the most on yourself? Which is a very personal, private, not a first date question <laughs> at all. <laughs> so, you know, or I think we're all on board. This this is team organic, uh, for sure. Like, we like organic conversations and things that just sort of flow and getting to know someone over time and also revealing ourselves over time, you know, not to give too much away too soon, but to be open. You know, I, I think those are general good rules of thumb. Yeah. Well, Maisha, we had somebody write in um, a specific situation and she didn't want us to, you know, to use her name. So I won't. But we've been saving this for you. And I'm wondering if we could redo the letter and if you could give some advice. Okay, that would be great. I love Q&As. Yeah. So um, I'm going to call this um this listener, Kathy, this is Kathy's um, email. And she said, 
I have been divorced since 2017 with three kids who are now 7, 10, and 12. I'm 48, an older mom. I've also been a full-time teacher since this time, since this time, and nothing about this has been easy. I wish your podcast was out there years ago. I've dated just a handful of times. One of them appeared serious for a while, but then I realized it wasn't right. It didn't feel right. Another one has been on and off, and he's been the pursuer. A great guy, but there are things I just found off-putting. My fear is that I'm worried I'm being too critical or picky now since I'm older and been through so much. I worry I'm looking for perfection. I don't mean in the guy himself. I know nobody is perfect, but perfect in the way I feel. I'm doubting my gut feelings that these guys aren't right for me. But are they really my gut feelings or is it that just anxiety or old wounds that I haven't healed? I seem to like them just fine at first, and then suddenly I realize, nope, this doesn't feel right. Thought I'd put this question out there since you'll be tackling episodes on dating. Thanks so much, Kathy. I mean, it's such a great question. My first thing that I want to tell Kathy is I hope that she has a vacation planned sometime soon. Being the mother of three, a teacher, dating, all of that stuff, and, and and the anxiety that gets stirred up by the practice of dating, I just hope that there's some like relaxation for her <laughs> in the very near future. Um, but I think there's a couple things that are really, very telling about what Kathy wrote in her letter. Um, I don't think that she's being too picky. I think that she has learned a lot. And it sounds like she has some pretty good intuition about what she needs at this moment. Um, so one of them seems like didn't turn out the way that she wanted it to. The other one is kind of off and on. And I think for for the time being, that could be okay, right? I think it, I think there might be some tension there or maybe even some guilt in allowing herself to just have fun with someone and not think about, what's next if they're being the pursuer um and she feels comfortable and they're enjoying themselves together i think that's great if there's other like red flags that are going off that make her feel like generally unsafe with this person or that they're disrespectful in some way then mm, no kick them to the curb but i think there's also room to maybe give herself permission to date people for the sake of dating them and because she hasn't done this in a while you know and she's not going to get it exactly right right off the bat so could there be some space to just say i like this person I like i like having him around and i don't know where it's going to go um i don't necessarily see long-term potential with them that might not be what I want right now. And if it is really and truly what she wants, then I think moving on from that situation is probably best. And I think if anything, there could be some work around trusting her gut even more because our physiology is, is very fine-tuned and gives us a lot of information that Sometimes we reject in the moment. We do think, oh, I'm not giving this person enough of a chance or, you know, they're so good on paper. You know, I hear that so many times. I just don't feel that spark with them. If you don't feel a spark or you don't feel like there's something worth pursuing there or your body is telling you there's something off about this person, I think those are all things to listen to. Um, And I do think that there's, there's going to be a long-term relationship in her future. You know, if that's something that she truly desires, she's just kind of stuck, I think, in this this wheel of self-doubt, unfortunately. And that's that's where a lot of people get stuck in dating. And frankly, that's when a lot of people just opt out completely. Um, So again, I hope Kathy gets some rest and some relaxation, some much-needed R&R. And I also hope that she can 
if she needs to take a pause from dating to regroup, think about what it is that she really wants from dating, whether that's long-term partnership or people to spend her time with, activity partners, et cetera, um, and comes back to dating with kind of a renewed perspective. Because I feel like right now she's just in a low point. And I, 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 as a coach, see the upswing to that, even though I know that my clients can't often see that. I think you bring up something really important, Maisha. When people get divorced, or even if they just break up and they, you know, a relationship's over, um, I've had divorced friends tell me, like, I don't trust my picker. I don't trust myself. Like, I feel like my picker is broken. How do you get your picker back on track? Is it just like, you know, dating in volume? So you uh, feel like you're hopefully dating enough people to know, okay, this is the right person for me and trusting your gut, as you said, or is there a different way to trust your picker and regain that confidence? Yeah, I think so many people have to redefine what their picker needs. So I don't know, you know, after a divorce or a bad breakup, I don't know that it's your intuition becomes off. I think it remains the same. And some people are more intuitive than others. But I think that there can be that sense of like, oh, I thought I had what I wanted, but it wasn't what I wanted in the end. How do I avoid that from happening to myself ever again? And the fact is, you may not be able to avoid that. In fact, all relationships end. Some way, shape, or form, they end, right? And it's scary. It's difficult to think of it in those terms, but it's true. And so I think mostly it's a, it's a matter of confidence that you can redefine what kind of relationship you're looking for. And this is when like the vision board can come out. You know, like this is when you can think, okay, like I'm really starting from scratch here, but I need some criteria to help me guide the way so that when I go on dates, I can be thinking, you know, does this person make me feel supported? Are they really listening to me? Um, Do I feel calm or do I feel activated when I'm with this person? You know, and I think those are the kinds of things that um, are more qualitative than these things like, you know, you have to have this kind of job and come from this kind of family and this part of the country and this type of ideology, you know, ideologies. Um, it, it's, it's more about like, okay, I, I ended something, it was painful, um, I, it didn't work out, and I know that there's something else out here for me. So what do I want in this next chapter? You know, what, what can I, what would make my life easier? Ultimately, like, that's kind of what partnership is. <laughs> so hopefully, for most of us, our partnerships make our lives easier, not harder. And, and yeah, and thinking about it in those terms, like, what do you need right now? This is a new phase of life. So what might be supportive to you? that you may not have even allowed yourself to think of, or you didn't know you needed before you got married, before you had kids. Those are all things that change a person. So it's, 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 it would be, it would be very difficult to assume that you are the same person now that then you were before. And it would be difficult to assume that you're going to make the same kinds of choices that you made back then. But also I want to say that there are, Definitely things that we do as human beings that are patterns that we have to look at and break. So that can show up in relationships too. And so when someone feels like maybe their picker is off, it could be that there's some attachment stuff coming up for them. Working with a therapist can really help to identify some patterns of connecting with other human beings that might be there that are getting in the way of you finding true connection. And, you know, sometimes I see people who, you know, they start dating someone for a while and then they're like, oh my gosh, they're just like my ex-wife, right? It's like, uh-oh, I'm in it again. And that's okay. You know, you might do that a few times. It doesn't mean you're broken. It means that you haven't yet broken the pattern. But then you can start to take a step back and go, here's the pattern. 
I see it now. And then the next person you go on a date with who shows the pattern, you're like, ha no, I'm not falling for that one universe on to the next. And so it does become a little bit easier, but it does, it, it could require that you take some time with a therapist to work on some of those things too. What we're looking for now is so different than what we were looking for in our 20s. And I hadn't thought about the idea that what well, would make my life easier. That's brilliant. I <laughs> it's, just, it's so simple. It's honestly brilliant. I, you know, I, I look at, you know, just um, no, that's not how I looked at it. You know, maybe more challenging, exciting, adventurous, fun, but easier. No. And I, and I love that. And I'm going to do that. Good. Yeah. Yay. I want your life to be easier. I want everybody's lives to be easier because they have the connections that support their lives, right? You know, life is hard and it, I think it should be easier with more hands. You know, <laughs> if, <there's, laughs> if we've got more hands on deck, then hopefully we can help each other to all have an easier life. Maisha Battle, this has been an amazing conversation. Thank you so much Thank for joining you. us on the Finding Yourself Single podcast. Just a wealth of information. We're big fans of all of your work and uh, just can't tell you how much we appreciate you. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure to be with you. And um, I'm really excited for your audience to to hear our conversation. I loved our conversation today, too. And I'm so glad that both of you were willing to share with me, you know, what apps you're on, what your dating struggles were. <laughs> um, and yeah, just that vulnerability is is so appreciated. So thank you, Brian. Thank you, Katie. Yeah, thank you, Maisha. I, I could talk to you for a long, long time. This is so fun and interesting. And next time we talk, we'll tell you what new apps we're on, right? And what we've, oh, yes, our progress. <laughs> please, please do. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Email the hosts at findingyourselfsingle at gmail.com. Follow the Finding Yourself Single podcast on Twitter at findyourselfsng and on Instagram at Finding Yourself Single. Listen to all episodes of the Finding Yourself Single podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, and podcast platforms everywhere. Finding Yourself Single is a production of Griggs Productions, griggsproductions.com.